This episode of Very Bad Words is brought to you by Dollar Shave Club. Hi, I'm Matt Fiddler of Very Bad Words. First of all, thank you to all the listeners and subscribers to this show. I've really just been amazed at the positive responses to it, and I just want to thank you for your support and to ask you to keep spreading the word of the show to your friends, family, and social network. It really helps me get the word out. So before creating Very Bad Words, I worked in the broadcast industry, mainly in public radio, where, of course, you couldn't swear. And I was reminded of that every time I'd sit behind a broadcast console. I'd see a little piece of paper with a list of words that you had to bleep if someone said one of these words on the air. And that list is shit, piss, fuck, cunt, cocksucker, motherfucker, and tits. And I thought, hmm, I've heard those words in that exact same order before. Shit, piss, fuck, cunt, cocksucker, motherfucker, and tits. Yes, those are the words which comedy legend and social critic George Carlin once said you could never say on television. But is this really true? Are those words prohibited from all broadcasts no matter what? What are the rules about what you can say and cannot say over the air? You can't say motherfucker, but you can say dickhead. Join me as I try to figure this out on Very Bad Words. Now, everyone knows George Carlin's bit about the seven words you can never say on television. Now, if you don't, stop this episode right now. You can come back to it later. Go to YouTube and look it up. George Carlin's seven words you can never say on television. It's hilarious, thought-provoking, and genuinely brilliant. At the time George Carlin did this bit, the FCC's rules about keeping indecency off the public airwaves had never really been tested. So it took the unwilling partnership of a left-wing radio station combined with some right-wing Supreme Court justices to make George Carlin's bit into kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. So I'm calling this episode of Very Bad Words, WTF FCC. During the Second World War, there was a work camp for conscientious objectors who refused to fight. Yes, I know that sounds crazy, but look it up, it's true. Some guys in this group of pacifists started the very first listener-sponsored radio station called KPFA in Berkeley, California, basically to try to spread the word of pacifism, which was completely absent from the mainstream media at the time. This led the way to there being a thing called public radio that we all know and love now. And the network it formed of similar stations around the country is called Pacifica, later the Pacifica Foundation. There's a lot that can be said about Pacifica, but they cannot be called the mainstream. They are not the mainstream media. So it's more than just a little bit strange that they brought a case to the Supreme Court that has affected the rules for all broadcast media ever since. To help explain how this all happened, I called up radio historian Matthew Lassar. I am the author of a book called Pacifica Radio, The Rise of an Alternative Network, which was published by um, Temple University Press some years ago, and it was my doctoral dissertation. But this story isn't about Pacifica Radio so much as it's about the Federal Communications Commission, the FCC. The FCC regulates all things related to broadcast media in the name of the public which owns those airwaves. 
So the FCC tries to make sure that nothing indecent or obscene went out over the airways that could offend the general public. In the 1960s, rock and roll was the major target. Back in the early 1960s, as you know, the Kingsmen um, issued a um, cover of the song Louie Louie. Uh, there were an enormous number of complaints about the song. It was not a very good production of the song Louie Louie. In fact, if you listen to the Kingsmen, they sort of slur all the words. It really doesn't, you really can't understand what they're, t- what they're talking about. And as a result of this, everybody decided that the song was obscene. And so they gave it to the Federal Communications Commission to investigate. And the Federal Communications Commission, because it was being played on the radio. And the Federal Communications Commission um, gave it to the Federal Bureau of Investigation, which for months and months and months wandered around the United States talking to high school students, going to radio stations. They were told that if you played the 45 and 33 RPM or 72 RPM or something like that, you could really hear the real lyric. So you played backwards, you could hear the real lyrics. It is whole investigation to determine whether or not there were any dirty words in there. And they determined at the end that there weren't. Um, but it took them a really long time, your tax dollars at work. Not too long after the Louis Louis debacle, there was this Pacifica station called WBAI in New York City, which really started out as a classical radio station. When a bunch of guys showed up, who wanted to do this thing that soon started getting called freeform radio. So they were three very witty, funny, offbeat radio programmers, and they were very much disillusioned with and in opposition to the kind of top 40 radio, which was popular back in those days. And they wanted to create something that was more spontaneous and fun and interesting and they saw that as part of Pacifica's mission, which was to um, uh, encourage dialogue about uh, about big questions of war and peace. And so they, they 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 sort of took over WBAI, and they began pushing this freeform radio thing. And from that freeform radio thing came a broadcaster named Paul Gorman, who was a very creative radio um, broadcaster, and he was very into pushing the limits of stuff and pushing the limits of radio. This pushing the limits is kind of the important thing here. Although the Communications Act bars indecent, profane, obscene programming, the SEC hadn't really uh, spent a lot of time um, formulating a policy around this. You know, most of the time, the broadcasting industry had, up until that time, sort of self-enforced itself. Um, in a famous case called Roth versus the United States in the mid-1950s, the Supreme Court had sort of loosened things up and basically said, you know, in order for something to be declared obscene, it really has to um, go beyond any uh, redeeming social quality. Encouraged by this, broadcasters were pushing the limits of what could be put on the air by the 1960s and early 1970s. But Richard Nixon was president, and his appointees were shifting the balance in the Supreme Court, who passed Miller versus California, which stated that obscenity should now be decided by contemporary community standards. 
And this meant that more conservative communities around the United States could could fine or even imprison people for um, violating indecency laws. So that you saw a sort of a pulling back from that liberalization by the early 1970s. It was in that context, this kind of confused context, that Paul Gorman had on George Carlin. Carlin gave his famous um, a lengthy shtick about obscenity and the various words you can't say on on radio and television. Shit, piss, fuck, cunt, cocksucker, motherfucker, and tits. Uncensored to millions of people all over the New York metropolitan area in the middle of the day. And a guy driving through New Jersey somewhere heard it on in his car with his kid there, and he filed a complaint with the Federal Communications Commission. Dun, dun. The Federal Communications Commission wrote to the Pacifica Foundation, said, we're putting this complaint in your file and we're warning you not to do it again. And it wasn't a big fine. It wasn't, you know, anything like what you, you know, you've gotten over the last, you know, 15, 20 years or so, which has been really draconian. But it was there. And the Pacifica Foundation decided to challenged this and they took it to the appeals courts and the appeals court said yeah that was inappropriate and when they took it to the supreme court by a very narrow five to four decision said yeah this was not appropriate to put over the airwaves and that the listeners it's not just that broadcasters have rights but the listeners have rights the the listeners have the right to be left alone not to be assaulted with these things when they turn on the government licensed airwaves. And as a result, for the first time, really, Federal Communications Commission's indecency rules were codified by the Supreme Court and Pacifica versus FCC has been with us ever since. So this ruling meant you cannot blatantly say those seven words in George Carlin's bit. Those were judged by the Supreme Court to be indecent, not obscene, but still not appropriate for the air. And a listener has a right not to be offended by a broadcaster breaking from local community standards. But how do you judge community standards from places all over the United States? And the Supreme Court said George Carlin's act was indecent but not obscene. What does that really mean? As far as I've been able to tell, the difference between obscenity and indecency has to do with prurience. What George Carlin put on the airwaves was you know, outrageous, very funny, very imaginative. I've always thought it was, you know, a lot of fun. But I don't think that anyone would experience it as a turn-on, to be blunt about this. I don't think anybody would experience it as erotic. The difference between obscenity and indecency is that indecency, you know, tries to shock you. It tries to, you know, startle you. It's full of dirty words, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But it's not like pornography which has a specific erotic focus. So the FCC called it indecent, but not obscene. The broadcaster said, okay, all right, so what are the rules now? But the Supreme Court had said in Pacifica versus FCC, the FCC has the right to fine and punish broadcasters, but it doesn't have the right to give them instructions in advance about what does or doesn't constitute indecency. So this was a double bind that the broadcasters now were in, in which they had no guidelines um, for what they were or were not supposed to broadcast. As the decades went on, although the FCC insisted that it would 
interpret Pacifica versus FCC, you know, with a light regulatory touch. In fact, the FCC became more and more stringent in its interpretation of Pacifica versus FCC. And this culminated over the last decade, particularly 2004, 2005, 2006, in the FCC going so far as to publish a, a no fleeting expletives policy in which even dirty words just quickly said on the fly could be um, punished by the Federal Communications Commission. So maybe it's settled now. You just can't say any of those words. You can't swear, right? Well, kind of. If you look at the history of FCC enforcement, it's very strange. I mean, they had this thing that they call contextual analysis, which even a bunch of um, former FCC commissioners said is basically just a bunch of voodoo. You know, you'll read an FCC analysis and they'll say, you can't say motherfucker, but you can say dickhead. When, when somebody said bullshitter um, during an interview on ABC over a um, interview about a recent Survivor episode and the FCC said, well, that's OK because it was a news story. So it's really, really difficult to figure out what they're going to think next, those guys over at the Federal Communications Commission. It, it's really so immensely subjective. And in fact, one of the uh, justices of the Supreme Court dissenting from um, Pacifica versus FCC, Brennan, Justice Brennan, you know, famously said, this is a completely um, subjective decision. These justices are basically taking their own hypersensitive sensibilities and turning it into common law. And it doesn't make any sense. And of course, the other thing that it's done is it, it made radio and even more so television much less competitive with um, internet radio and cable, you know, and cable television um, and all of these other places, which are not subject to the FCC's rules because they're broadcast over privately owned cable networks, not over the public airwaves. Thank you, Matthew Lassar, for clearing all of this up. Sort of. Just a note, the FCC certainly did not invent censoring language and words. Censorship is not even relatively new. So to keep this all in perspective, I want to read a quote from Aristotle's Politics, Book 7. There is nothing that the legislature should be more careful to drive away than indecency of speech, for the light utterance of shameful words leads to shameful actions. All I am saying is to go fuck yourself. I think you might as well all go to hell. I know you say there are two sides to everything But I ain't buying that shit you're trying to sell My name is Sarah Montague and I'm the senior radio producer for the spoken word program Selected Shorts. Selected Shorts is a national radio show which has been on public radio for over 30 years, edited from a live storytelling event in New York City where actors read contemporary short fiction. 
But what passes for decent at a live storytelling event in New York doesn't necessarily pass for decent in other communities, especially more conservative communities around the country. So how do you know where the line is when it comes to questionable content? It's not like selected shorts is obscene or pornographic, but it is contemporary, and much of the contemporary world swears and deals with drugs and violence and sex. My first encounter with this that I remember really distinctly is in an Avner Mandelmama story that was in Best American Short Stories sometime in the mid to early 90s. And I read it before, actually before it even was performed, and I remember thinking how impoverished it was. The story is about an Israeli Nazi hunter and a young kid going through some heavy stuff dealing with revenge killing for a war that really wasn't his generation's war. The story is just end-to-end profanities, one after the other after the other, including things I absolutely cannot say in public. And I kept thinking on the page, oh, he's one of those writers who just hasn't got much of an imagination. Why, why can't he find a more creative way to write? Ron Rivkin read this story at Symphony Space, and I immediately realized what an idiot I'd been. The whole point of this story was that this character had inherited a set of obligations that he did not directly connect to. It was his parents' narrative. It was that generation's war. Much as he must have felt these were bad guys, he didn't have the direct emotional connection to the feeling of the experience. He was clearly terrified that he was about to be told to go and kill somebody, and he was too young to have a way of working that out in his own head. So what he fell back on was the profanities, and the minute you heard it read, you knew completely why they were in there and how essential they were to that narrative. But when we produced it, I wound up with a John Cage score. I had 27 instances of things we cannot say on the air, and I had to drop little bleeps into every single one of them. It was pretty comic. But of course, it's not just those seven words that gets you in trouble. It can be anything that a community finds objectionable. To cover that aspect, Selected Shorts brought in an FCC lawyer to let the Selected Shorts team know what would most likely get them into trouble. He said that the overwhelming preponderance of cases taken by the FCC have to do with sexual content. So this may have something to do with an aspect of American Puritanism or prurience. The FCC environment seems to primarily respond to those things. But theoretically, they could be responding to anything. So the precedent set by the FCC is pretty much sexually related. But as we've heard, it could be anything. And as we heard earlier, the FCC is anything but consistent. So it must be really annoying to have this gray area about what might or might not be okay. So I asked Sarah Montague, maybe it would help if there was a new case brought to the Supreme Court that we could all look to. I th- my, my gut instinct is that the gray area feels like a realm of protection because it isn't absolutely saying anything. It leaves us all feeling often mystified and anxious. But I'm wondering if a more exact ruling wouldn't be more constraining or complicated. And it's hard to quite imagine what it would be, because this is the point. What they're saying is, and remember, they are not a legal agency. They are an oversight agency. What they're saying is that their responsibility is to represent the interests of communities. I can't see a way that you could specifically put that into action. Now, 
it's interesting that everybody focuses on that Pacifica story. You know that the other thing they did was that they read all of Ulysses live on the air because Ulysses, as you know, was the landmark case in print publishing. Ulysses was taken to court in 1963 because, as an obscene book. Random House was taken to court for publishing it and the Supreme Court voted in their favor. If you buy the old Random House edition, it has the entire judgment at the front and it is the source of the, of the commonly held belief, either aesthetically or legally, that if you can prove something is a work of art, it is protected. And that is absolutely true in print. So in print, many kinds of things have protections they do not have in broadcast. So the problem is, could you find a case that would test that premise sufficiently in broadcast to give us all the kind of blanket protection to say, we're a short story series. We're, pub you know, we're, we're featuring published short stories from distinguished print sources. Of course all this stuff is art. Leave us alone. So it seems that it is remotely possible that a better case could be brought forward. But another case could be brought up that makes things even more complicated or even more draconian in the uh, enforcement of it. So my question is, is the FCC doing what the listeners want, what the public wants, what selected shorts listeners want? After all, these are our airways, one of the common spaces that all Americans have ownership of. Well, selected shorts does get listener letters. And I remember, you know, some stories where we got a batch of listener letters around this topic and they were absolutely divided 50-50. 50% of writers said, you know, not a huge survey, you know, this is not, you know, a statistical, but as a casual variable, it was kind of interesting. 50% of them said, how dare you betray the First Amendment and your writers in this way by, you know, knocking out bits of their language. 50% of them are saying, I'm so grateful to you for your sensitivity. We listened to selected shorts on our way to church on Sundays with our 11-year-old in the car, we're really grateful to you for having her in mind. What can you say? Both of those groups believe they are connected to you and your beliefs and your product, and both of those groups have completely different views about what they should be hearing. This is not a simple question. Thank you, Sarah Montague, senior producer of Selected Shorts. And thanks to radio historian Matthew Lassar and my executive producer, Jill Fincher, and to our new network, Audio Boom, for everything that they do. I'm Matt Fiddler. And thank you for listening to Very Bad Words. And as I said before, for helping spread the word of this new podcast, I really can't do this without your help. So when you get a chance, take a moment to rate and review this podcast in the podcast app on your phone, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else you might listen to podcasts. It really, really helps me out. Thank you so much. And please interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All those links can be found on our nice, old-fashioned website, www.verybadwords.com. Again, that's www.verybadwords.com. We'll be coming out with a brand new episode in two weeks on one of the most controversial words in the English dictionary. I don't want to give it away. I don't want to tell you what it is. But here is a hint. It's about women, and it starts with a C. And you just will not believe where this story goes. See you in two weeks. Thank you.